Well, yesterday I made myself a sofrito. Does anybody know what a sofrito is? Yes, okay. In French, it's a mirepoix, which is a similar thing, but it's the thing where you, you cut up uh, cucumber and carrot and onion, and you try to make them like nice little cubes. It's very nice. I was kind of a meditative kind of thing. I'm cutting all these things really nicely. And I put them all in there, and it makes a beautiful, deep, flavorful dish that you can add to other things. You can add it to like a sauce or something. And I, I started this thing, and it was going beautifully, wonderful. And then uh, I went in the other room and did something else for a little while. And as you can imagine, I forgot about it for a little while, and I came back in, and I had charred the bottom of it, and it was so sad. You know how long it took me to make those little, those little carrot cubes, you know? And, you know, it still had this deep, rich flavor, but also kind of along with that, it had the, the bitter, charred part that goes with it that had just been completely infused in this whole thing. And I thought this kind of makes, reminds me of the story of David. Because when we read, we've been reading in Immerse right now, and we're reading the story of the life of David, he is an amazing, rich guy. Just, not just in money, but he is a, an interesting character and a person. But there's some things in his story that can feel a little like, hey, those parts got a little burnt and add a little bit of a, a bitter flavor to everything that we read about him. So the section that we just read was in the book of First and on into Second Samuel. This next week, if you would like to read along with us, the, the pages for our Immerse book and or just to read along in your Bible are actually on the church website. If you go to the front page, look for Immerse. You can navigate around. There's a way to be able to find where everything is. But this guy, David, you know, he, there were times when he is forgiving super patient. He, in fact, there's a guy who's chasing him who wants to kill him, and on two occasions, he doesn't take that guy's life, even though he had the opportunity to do so. So he doesn't kill that guy. So there's, there are these acts of generosity, magnanimity. He's, he's somebody who really was, uh, uh, like I said, he's a rich character, somebody who had a lot. He has so much resilience. And yet, at the same time, we also see him uh, killing people or committing great acts of bloodshed or then he also will uh, he takes another person's wife this guy um, Uriah he goes to Bathsheba and takes Uriah his faithful soldier who's out fighting and he sleeps with his wife and she she ends up getting pregnant it's really clear that it's from him Uh, and then to cover that up he ends up getting the guy killed and purposely making sure that the guy gets killed and so what I'm left with with David is this kind of lingering aftertaste a bit and that's not that big a deal in a way because, you know, as we've gone through Judges and First Samuel, there have been lots of characters who have been kind of mixed bags, people who have had a lot of very clear character faults. So it's not really strange that somebody would have those things. But the thing that is strange is that in the book of, well, in the, the Bible, it talks about David as being somebody who is after God's own heart, that he's a man after God's own heart. So when I hold up these two things, and I have the, he's this really great guy who's super patient and, has, and shows great fortitude and faith, somebody who showed faith even during that episode with Goliath, but he's also somebody who has these great faults. But then together to know that God ends up calling him somebody who is after my own heart, that's the part that we, I, I wrestle with. 
A lot of times in our, in our discussions for Immerse, there are same questions that we're asked each week. You know, what did you see? What were things that stood out to you? And one of the ones in my group that tends to be really hard for us to answer is the question of, well, did this help you to see God in some different way? And a lot of times that one we go, I, I'm not really sure on this one. But particularly in this issue of he was a man after God's own heart, that was something that raised a question for me. Less about David and more about God. What does this mean? If, if he is called a man after God's own heart, what does that mean about who God is or what God looks for in us, what God is doing? Uh, that is the part that really caught my attention. And so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, maybe you're thinking, you may think, you know what, David can call himself whatever he wants. Maybe he's the one who wrote this and David goes, you know, Kurt is a man after God's own heart, right? <laughs> it's not like that. There were other people that wrote about him later. Uh, it's something that's said about him throughout the text. Uh, I'll just, I'll have a few places. Uh, it's not just one time too. It's several different times. Go ahead and put that one from 1 Samuel. Uh, when God is talking to Saul, who is the first king, and God takes away the kingdom from Saul, and he says this. He says, but now your kingdom, Saul, must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And it's clear because uh, David has already been anointed. He's already been proclaimed as the next king. We know who that person is, so we know who it's going to be. And then there's the narrative. It's interesting. You know, it doesn't... Oh, I'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that. Don't get ahead of yourself, Kurt. Uh, so there, there, there is... Uh, in the readings that we're gonna have in the next couple of weeks, there are a couple more places that you're gonna run across this. And that's partly why we should talk about it now because you are gonna run into these phrases coming up ahead. Now, this is in 1 Kings 11.4. As Solomon, who is the son of David, actually his son by Bathsheba, the woman uh, that he uh, abused. I mean, really, I mean, I mean, if we're going to be clear, like he, he used his power to abuse a person and then he ends up being married to her, sure, but uh, it does not start out well. Uh, he used his power in unsavory ways. Uh, and so as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So we're talking, he's talking to a son who was born from somebody that he had had adultery with, and yet he's saying David was somebody who had been fully devoted to God. A couple of generations after that, uh, there was a guy named Abijam, and there's this really short obituary of the guy's life. I hope this is not any of our um, obituaries. It's, uh, go ahead and go to the next one. This is also in 1 Kings. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his forefather had been. It's in 1 Kings 15. The, it's, that is also continued in the New Testament. The New Testament writers also talk about David this way. Here's a great summary. You guys, this is really great. We have been reading through this. If you've been reading with us, you're going to, especially if you were with us when we did the beginnings part, the first five books of the Bible, uh, but uh, Paul gives a really great summary of a bunch of the things, the history of God's people. This is in Acts 13. Go ahead and put that one up. Uh, so Paul is speaking to a, a group, and he, he stands up, and he, he, he was in a synagogue. He had been asked to come and speak. So he's speaking to a group of Jewish people who know the history of Israel, who would know all the things that we've been reading. And he says this to them. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. 
The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. That's called the Exodus. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, God's patience. And he he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land and to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. This is right where we're at, right? Then the people asked for a king. So we talked about that last week, if you missed that one. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. We, we have to hold these things together. His, his, he's a great guy, but he also has a really spotty record together. And we hold those things together. And, and here's the thing that's really interesting. is that It would have been pretty easy for the biblical writers who uphold David as the greatest human king that we had. That he's the one that everybody looks to and says, that's when the kingdom was really great. That's when we were doing well. That he did it right. He brought justice. He, he helped our country in a good way. Everybody looked back to him. It would be really easy for them later on to just kind of gloss over the things that weren't really nice about him, right? He's, he's supposed to be the great king. Why not just make him seem a little greater? And it would be easy to skip all that stuff about Bathsheba or any places where he gets really angry or does something wrong, where he wants to kill people just because they insult him or something like that, it would be really easy to just leave that stuff out. But that's something I love about the Bible, that it does include those things, because it's not actually a book about David. It's a book about God. It's a book about how God is interacting with his people. And so any one character can still be called out and and given, clearly seen for who they are, because we're all kind of a little bit of a mixed bag. And so when we, when we, but the problem is, how can we call him a man after God's own heart? I feel like somebody should be a little better than that. So I just think, how can that be? How can he be that person that we say that? And that's my first reaction. My first reaction is to think, no, that's not right. But as I've thought about this a little bit, I've realized this is actually really good news for us. It's good news that somebody who's kind of a mixed bag could actually be called someone whose heart is after God's own heart. Because I know something about my own. I, I want to be somebody who is after God's own heart, but I know things about myself that would disqualify me, I think. But God says, no, I, I call mixed up people my people. I call people who are not done yet to be with me. I, God sought us when we we're still broken, not when we had everything all together. I think I meet some people sometimes who are thinking about wanting to grow spiritually, and they think, you know, I, I can't quite come to church yet because I don't really have all my ducks in a row yet. Or once I sort this bit of my life out, that's when I can really start to get engaged with God. But that's not the way that I don't see that of God interacting with people anywhere in Scripture where he says, all right, figure your life out and then come to me. No. He says, come to me right in the mess. I'm, I want to engage right in that place. And that's really the image of what God did. He sent his son into our world. He didn't wait for the world to be ready for him. Because we, we need God to love messy people. 
Otherwise, all of us are left out. Because every human association or organization, we have issues. Every person that we interact with is going to eventually let us down. I want to let you know, if you, if you are new here, the one thing that we can promise you is at some point we will let you down. And the same thing is true for people. I, I, I lived in France for many years, and uh, I knew people who had been born somewhere else, but who had learned to speak French quite well. And it was funny because... Um, uh, Karen and my wife and I would sometimes talk about this where there are certain people that if they didn't say very much, you would actually think they were French. You know, kind of if, speaking in English, if you just say, yeah, all right, you're like, well, that's, that sounds right. You wouldn't hear, hey, this person's a foreigner. But if you hear them speak enough, you would hear them make kind of a silly mistake. You know, all it takes in English is saying university one time. And we know you're not an American, right? <laughs> I ride on bus, right? You, you know immediately. It only takes one little mistake. So if somebody talks enough, then you would catch it. Oh, wait, that person's actually not French. And you know what? The same thing is true for us. If you spend a little bit of time with any one person, you can start to think they're kind of perfect. If you spend a, little, a lot of time, just a little bit of time with somebody, you go, wow, they've got all their act together. But if you spend enough time close enough to anybody their faults are going to start to show. And we don't love that. We don't want that. And, and if you spend time with people, they will see it. Because we don't want to be seen as being bad. I don't want people to think that I'm not good. I'll pick on myself. I want everybody to think that I can do not just my job well. I want you to think that, like, you know, Kurt's really great. Right? I, I want that. I want people to, to not see my faults. But if you spend enough time with me, you're eventually going to figure out this is a sinner in need of grace. <laughs> but, you know, we, we all want to be seen as good people, at least kind of like above average, right? We're, we're, we're kind of good. <laughs> we don't want to be bad. We don't want people to see our faults. Uh, yesterday, though, there was a group of Boy Scouts who came in here. It was kind of fun. They were doing a bike ride around uh, town, and they were going to different houses of worship, and they asked us to explain what does it mean what is our faith? And actually, Alan Bashar gave the presentation about what it means to be a Christian. He did a great job, and I appreciated that. They said, you got 10 minutes, bud. He's like, oh, wow, this, there's more to say about this than what I'm giving you. Uh, but one of the things that I thought was really great that he did is he, he started off uh, by asking people, he said, you know, hey, uh, I would love for you to, to tell me, what, what are, he, he asked the kids about issues of lying. Have you ever, have you ever lied? You ever told a lie? Any kids uh, raise their hand, whatever. All right, but what about, you ever, you ever stole anything, maybe? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we've taken some things. And, you know, all the adults raised their hands a little quicker than the kids were, you know, they kind of looked around, like, is my mom is sitting here? Is, she, is this okay? Um, uh, and and we, he even explained, he said, you know, Jesus said that anyone who uh, hates their brother, hates their, somebody near them, they have actually committed murder in their heart against that person. And so what Alan said, I thought it was really great. He said, he established basically right off the bat, he said, you know, there are, there are 10 commandments and we just talked about how we broke three of them. Those are three of the 10 commandments right there. And I, I don't think we need to even spend extra time this morning asking people, have you ever put anything before God? Oh, yeah, okay. Have you ever, you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Honored your parents not so well at times? Or uh, wanted what your neighbor had? 
We're starting to tick off kind of all of the Ten Commandments there and not doing them. So if we take our, just the Ten Commandments, we can say objectively, we have not been perfect. And it's, I don't think that I have to convince many of you of that. Uh, but we want to be seen as people who do right. We want people to think we're good and right and do all that stuff that we're supposed to. And objectively, I am, have broken the commandments. Not good, but I make excuses. I find ways to be able to say that I'm probably above average somehow, and I want to be perceived in that way of being perfect. And I think that we would never say it out loud this way, but in some ways, the things that we're doing is we're basically trying to convince ourselves and other people that we don't really need a savior. That we're people who are good enough all by ourselves. You know, God likes us. He probably, he definitely wants me. But he does. God does want us, but we think that it's because we're good enough that he would want us more than somebody else. Certainly maybe more than that one neighbor. Uh, <laughs> but it's easy. Here's the thing is that God's not tricked. God's not fooled by us. And it, there's the, it's it's good news. It's good news for me. I don't have to pretend anymore. God knows about me. And the people, he knows that I don't need to fool him. And here's the, here's the funny part is, we try to feel like we can fool the people closest to us, but they're the ones who are the least fooled. They, they know what's going on. They know that you need a Savior as well. And here's the wonderful thing. That's what God did. God sent his Savior into the world, somebody who was perfect, who never broke the Ten Commandments, somebody who lived always in a way that was right and good. He was a, a man of justice and a man of peace. And he, he gave himself willingly, the most humble person ever. Something, somebody who didn't deserve to die gave his life for us. And the scriptures tell us this. This is from 1 Peter. It says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And he ends up quoting there from Isaiah, by his wounds you have been healed. That we, and I, I feel like this is kind of where all this stuff starts to come together for us. And so uh, as Christians, we say that everyone is a sinner in need of grace. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone needs God's grace. Everybody and God knew that we weren't perfect, and that's why he sent a Savior to bear our sins for us. So how does this all kind of tie together with this David thing? How does this change the way that we see God? Well, it means that God has never expected you to be suddenly or even gradually perfect. Some of us think that we're going to be gradually perfect. Uh, maybe stop doing that one thing, but we're never going to be gradually perfect or even suddenly so. Uh, so we, we know that we need to actually approach our faith in a way that says God needs to be the one to give us. And the good news as we connect this together is we know that because God has given us Christ, and if God calls David a man after his own heart, that means that we also could have the hope that we would also be called people who are after God's own heart. Well, what, what, what does that actually mean, though? What does it mean to be somebody who's after God's own heart? Uh, I think there's, uh, this kind of cooked my brain a little bit this week. There's so much we can say, but I, I, I would like to boil it down just to one thing that I see him doing that I think ends up 
bearing fruit in other parts in his life. I think there's a lot about his life that we see, uh, that, but there's one thing in particular, one characteristic that I think that he had, and that is David was somebody who had a really big vision of God. He saw God as being God. He, he was always seeking to say, God, what are you really like looking like? Where do I not, does my vision of you not match with who you are and how actually enormous you are? So he's not trying to make God bigger than what he actually is. He just says, I want to see you for who you really are. And, and that ends up thinking, thinking changing his thinking of, of shaping his heart in a lot of different ways. Uh, he, he, started with this big vision of God, and that ends up playing itself out in other places in his life. We, we could see in all of the psalms that he wrote, David wrote a lot of songs and poems to God that are recorded for us in the book of Psalms. You can see those things. Uh, but the place where I would like for us to look at is specifically in, this is from our reading, I'm finally getting to our reading now, the one that we actually read, is Second Samuel 7. And remember what I said about, you know, we might think David said about himself, like, I, I am somebody after God's own heart. That's something you never hear from David himself because he has too big of a vision of God to say that about himself. What he says about himself is this. God just said, I'm going to make something out of your life. I'm going to build a kingdom off of you. And, and then David says this. David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this weren't enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. Me, David, why me? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. What, what can I say to you, God? You know, you know what's here. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are. Sovereign Lord, there is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. So when David talks to God, he doesn't say, God says, you know, I'm going to make your kingdom great, and, and he doesn't say, yeah, you picked the right guy. <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm totally willing to do stuff for you. You saw, God, I'm super sacrificial and super humble, and I'm really going to be the best guy for this whole program. I think you've picked really a great guy, God. No, when he talks to God, he says, who am I? What? Who am I? And who's my family? It's not like I, I came from, I'm not the one you would expect to do this. And yet David ends up being the greatest king in the history of Israel and the one who Everyone looks to as a, as a type, as a, as a foreshadow of the Messiah who was to come. David had a big vision of God. And that big vision ends up shaping his heart to be more humble. Because he knows how big God is, he can kind of put himself in right perspective. He goes, wait, if you're this big, then I'm kind of a little player here. Because it would be, do I need to even say it? It's kind of easy for a king to get a big head, Right? It's easy for him as king to think he's really big stuff. But he says, no, with you, God, in comparison to you, I am very small. It has made him humble. And I think that that's one of the things that we can benefit from when we see God as, a, as big as who he really is, we start to put ourselves a little more in perspective. 
we can be a little more humble. And seeing God for who he really is, the other thing that it benefits David is he's a guy who's super loyal to God. He, he does make huge mistakes, but he, his heart is also always seeking to be loyal to God. He says at the end, verse 22, there is no one like you and there is no God but you. He, he, he wanted to have his heart always going back to God. There's, where else can I go? You're the one who gives me all that is good. You're the right one to, to care for me. I, where else can I go? So we can, we can do that as well. If we have this big vision of God, we can start to see our lives a bit more humbly. The people around us wouldn't mind that, to tell you the truth, if we're a little more humble. <laughs> we can be more loyal, too. We, and loyal in the sense that we know that there's nothing else that can compare to God. Why would we go anywhere else? And there's a lot more fruit that comes out of his life. There's tons more stuff that we could talk about the way that he sees things. But what he sees is he sees God as the source. And the humility and the loyalty and all the other things that come with it are just the fruit of a life that is really God-directed. That he wants to see God for as big as God really is. So here's, here's an exercise that I would like for us to do this week. Here's a challenge. Go ahead and put that up. I would like to challenge you to think this week, I'd like you to spend a few minutes in prayer this week. Let's just do it this week. How's that? Spend a, spend a few moments in prayer each day to adore God, to, to say to God how great God is, how great thou art, to, to sing that in our souls, how great God is, and try to be a, maybe to try to be a little bit inventive with this, to be a little bit, you know, you can say, God, you are, uh, are all-powerful. That's fine. Uh, but maybe we can start to delve a little deeper. What does that mean for how, the power that God would have in your life? Uh, to, to be able to say, God, you can do this this week. Uh, so t- what are the things that make God unique? The things that make God special? We, we can spend some time doing that. And you know what? You can do this at the, right before dinner, maybe, if that's a good time for you to pray. Right before bedtime, that would be a great time to do that. So seven times. At least seven times, will you do this? Use, challenge yourself this week to say, because it's easy for us. A lot of times we come to God in prayer and we've got a lot of stuff that we want done, right? But let's, let's just take a moment in our prayer to also get a bit bigger vision for who God is. And even, you know, these are things maybe we know about God, but we just need to kind of bring it into our line of sight. You know, when, otherwise it ends up being like the sofrito, <laughs> left behind, <laughs> burning back on the back burner. But we want to keep it in our sight so we can see God for who he really is. To say to God, how great you are, sovereign Lord, along with David. There's no one like you. There's no God but you. Where else would I go? So to begin with adoration and to do that. Uh, I I think that we can't help but that kind of thing for that to give us a bigger vision of God. And for that to hopefully shape our heart a little bit, to help us this week to, to kind of say, hey, I, I never really thought about God being that creative or something else. It, it's got to shape us a bit in our hearts, and we can be a little bit more people who are after God's own heart. The place where we find the most inspiration, though, if you're trying to think of things, for how to consider how great God is, we have to go always to where God revealed himself most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. To look at Christ. This is everything that he said, all the things that he did. We look to Christ. 
because he was the true person who was after God's heart because he is actually God. He has God's heart, and his heart was on display there for us. And, and the, in our second Samuel passage, the bit just before this one, God is making these promises to David. This is in 7.11. He says this. There's, there's part of this that is looking forward to David's son Solomon, but there's some that also looks forward to this king who will come afterwards. Some of you may have had a question about that this week. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build my house for, a house for my name. Actually, Solomon ended up building the temple where uh, the God's presence came and dwelt. And I will establish this throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul. So, you know, Saul had it taken from him. Solomon has problems, but he doesn't end up taking the kingdom from him. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So that this was partly fulfilled by Solomon. There are a lot of different prophecies in Scripture, actually, that have multiple fulfillments. You know, the, in Isaiah, there are things that are specifically about Isaiah himself that look forward to the Messiah. And that's the same kind of thing that's going on here. It's, there's this imperfect person who's kind of the beginning part of this prophecy, Solomon, who ends up being, he needs to be punished for the things he does wrong. But they also point to a perfect person who was punished, though he did no wrong. The one who was willing to take all of that on himself. The perfect man, the perfect person, who was a descendant of David. And he ends up establishing this kingdom that will, and he can rule forever. So I, if we have this bigger vision, if we look to this person of Christ and, and try to understand what that says to us about who God is, how big God is, how amazing God is, I think it's going to help us to live a little more humbly. To live humbly after God's heart in a way like Christ. If you think about it, following in his footsteps, after his heart. We'll live a life of loyalty like Christ did as well, who is willing to give everything for God, to, to live courageously in response to difficulties in the world, to things in our lives, to, to live not in loyalty trying to earn God's favor, but to live in a way, to live courageously in the light of what he's already done. So let's do that. Let's spend some time this week reflecting on God's greatness. And if you do that, you're going you're gonna to deepen your worship of God. You're going to deepen a lot of things. It's going to help our church community to be together, growing in our faith in God. And we can do that even as imperfect people. So it doesn't matter if those people know that you've got faults and you're also helping to challenge them to follow God. It's, that's just the way it is. We're all that way with our faults. So I, I hope you'll stick around with us. We're going to continue reading through the uh, book of in these kingdoms, 2 Samuel, going into 1 Kings this next week. Continue with your readings. Uh, listen on your phone. Some people have told me that on the podcast they're annoyed by that person's voice, I guess. I heard this. Um, there are other places you can listen to it on the Bible app. You can choose a translation of somebody's voice who you appreciate. That's fine. Um, so the reading is on the website. Let's pray. Lord, sovereign Lord, there is no one as great as you, and we want to see you like you are. I pray that we will bring these things into our vision so that we can uh, maybe be people who are a little bit more after your own heart. 
Thank you for the good news that we see that David could be someone that you call that. And I think that maybe it helps me to believe that you could call me that too. Because I know that you say that I'm in Christ. I know you say I'm adopted. I know you say that I'm yours. And sometimes it's hard for me to really live into that. But we want to believe it in a full way today, God. To live in the light of you seeing us as people that you want. People that you are willing to die for. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And once a month here at Simi Covenant, we do celebrate Christ's death and resurrection through the Lord's Supper. And uh, we do that on the first.